Good morning. Well, last week, in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, we saw that after the man and the woman had sinned against God, the woman having been deceived by the serpent who was used by Satan, and the man having rebelled, not deceived, but disobedient to God, he had taken some of the fruit and eaten it from his wife, who had eaten the fruit as well, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they had rebelled against God, sin had entered the world, they were hiding, and we saw last week that God called them out of hiding by his grace that he might restore a relationship with them. Now, we're not completely through that because last week we went through the cursing of the serpent and saw the gospel presented to us, the answer to sin in verse 15, where we learned that God would put enmity between the serpent, that is the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring, that's the serpent's offspring, which is all those who sin against God, which is pretty much all of us, and right, except for Jesus, amen, and hers, and that's where the distinction is. Her seed, her offspring, refers to Jesus, and we're told he would be the Savior that would come. We're told that he will crush the serpent's head and that the serpent will strike his heel. And indeed, we saw that the heel of Jesus Christ was pierced for us, as well as his hands and his side. But as I like to point out, yes, Satan struck the heel of Jesus, but remember, that was as that heel was crushing his head. And so uh, that, that was a, a beautiful study last week that sets us up to continue in our study today in Genesis 3. Now we're going to look at the curse of sin. We've looked at the deception of sin, and we looked at the, 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 some of the consequences of sin, but, but we also looked at the curse of the serpent. But now we're going to look at the curse that came upon man, came upon woman, because of their sin. There were consequences. There, there was a curse that came upon them. After they confronted sin, there were consequences. And we're going to see that today. Let's open in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that as we study the curses that came upon, actually, the entire universe, the result of man's sin, may we understand that this is the result of sin and having a sin nature, but that you have reversed the curse. You've reversed it, at least most of it, at least all of it in this life uh, and in the next, eventually. But Lord, you have made a way where there was no way. You, You have sent Jesus, as predicted in verse 15, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, is your son, Jesus Christ, who came to save us from our sins. And so we're grateful for all that Jesus has done and is doing and will do. And this morning, we pray that as we consider the curses of sin, that we would look to the answer to reverse that curse in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm excited to share with you some of this. We're hopefully going to finish up chapter 3 today. As we do, there are some things we're going to see. And I want, first of all, say that remember that as sin was confronted, God wasn't looking to curse man and woman. God was looking to save. He called them out of hiding. There was a confrontation of sin that had to do with redemption that ultimately was accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So if you see this curse as God, sort of, okay, now there are consequences. Now I'm going to get even with you for disobeying me. Then you missed last week's study. I encourage you to go back and and listen to it. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is to reverse the curse. Reverse the curse. The heart of God is to take away the curse of sin. But there is a curse of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So God has, amen, has reversed the curse. But there is a curse. To look at sin and think that there are no consequences for the sin of man then you would be fooling yourself. And there are many people today that do that. They look and they say, well, you know, there are really no consequences. There are no such things as sins. Uh, The word of God is archaic. We don't need to pay attention to that. We can write our own way of living, our own moral code. We can decide for ourselves. We can do what every man feels is right in his own heart. And that, of course, has led to disaster in the past, and it's leading to disaster today for each and every person that defies God and his word. They're deceived. And if they're not deceived, because many people are deceived, they're in rebellion. And we see that's the case with man and woman. Now here we look at verse 16. And to the woman God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now I am not qualified or even capable of discussing the pain of childbirth. I'm not even going to go there today in that sense because I I am not the person to do that. There are many women here today who can. But I can tell you this, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Clearly. Because the curse of sin brought about pain in childbearing. The woman's cursed. There's a curse that comes upon women, all women, From the time of Eve all the way till today, and that curse includes a few things, and I want to talk about them. Remember, though, that God has reversed the curse. Remember that truth. But there are some things about that curse that can't be reversed at this time because we're still in the sinful flesh. One of them is that a woman would suffer increased pains in childbirth. Without sin, without sin, the experience of childbirth would have been easy and pleasant. I don't think anyone in life ever has ever described childbirth as easy and pleasant. You know, it's always amazed me, and and maybe you've seen this, maybe you've watched some of those nature channels or Animal Planet or something, or Nat Geo, and you've seen animals give birth. Or maybe you've had pets that have given birth. Maybe you've witnessed this before. It's amazing to me how you'll see a giraffe very large animal, or an elephant, give birth. And that's not the easiest thing in the world. It doesn't seem to be that same level of difficulty that human beings experience, women experience in childbirth. I mean, here here this giraffe comes out, about falls out, hooves and all, and, 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 and within a few seconds is up walking. That's not how anyone would describe childbirth for human beings. So there is a distinction. Now, there is a curse that came upon all animal life, but that's not one of them. Not generally. There are exceptions to the rule because sometimes things can go wrong. But but generally, you look at childbirth and it is not a pleasant or easy thing. So sin, one of the consequences of sin was this. Why? 
I really don't even know. I just know that that's what the word of God tells us. So this explains the unusually painful labor that's experienced by women when giving birth. It doesn't seem that it should be that way, and it wasn't supposed to be that way. That much I can tell you. But, of course, the bearing of children is still a time of blessing and rejoicing. It is, of course, and the scripture testifies to this. That just because there's pain in childbearing doesn't mean it's not still a blessing. For example, in John's Gospel in chapter 16, and in verse 21, this is what we read. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And Jesus shares that with us because with even the curse, there's a blessing. Anyone here ever experience a curse? That is a difficulty, a challenge, some result of sin in their lives? Did God work through that? Did God bring a blessing? See, this is the thing, this is the principle, this is what I want us to leave with today, that even in sin, even especially in sin and difficulty and trials and challenges, there's a blessing to be experienced. That's God reversing the curse. Sometimes we still experience the consequences of sin. In fact, most of the time we do. But there's still a blessing. God does reverse the curse. How many people here have ever been blessed through a difficult experience. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this. Most of the time, my blessings come through difficult experiences. They sometimes occasionally come through times of, that are not so difficult. But I found that sin in my life doesn't prevent God from blessing me. Can I hear an amen? See, that truth of the reverse of the curse is the truth of Christianity that, yes, we will still die physically. Yes, we will experience pain and sorrow in this world. Yes, there are difficulties that we can inevitably expect, but we can also anticipate the blessings of God in each and every one of them. And that's a message of hope. So even in painful childbirth, as Jesus alluded to here, the bearing of children is still a time of blessing and rejoicing. Now, there are exceptions to that. Many women throughout the centuries, even even recently, even within our fellowship, there have been those that have suffered greatly through childbirth, nearly died, and even died. There are those moments. There are those times. God still works through them. But there are those times. We, we acknowledge that. We don't pretend everything always works out the way we would want it to. But this part of the curse is God's working through man's consequences. It's not God bringing consequences for man's disobedience. Consequences come about the result of our actions. Please don't blame God for these curses. These curses came about because our ancestors, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. And it's important that you see that. But God has reversed the curse. Now, the woman would also be subject to her husband's authority. Now, this is a painful subject to deal with in today's world, especially as a man. To say something like that oftentimes brings a rebuke from women who feel very independent today. And and in fact, are. I mean, we live in a society and at a time, thank God, where women are not nearly as oppressed as they have been, even in this culture, uh, for centuries, thousands of years. But you have to acknowledge that that's usually the case and has been the case throughout history. There are very few exceptions to this rule. 
Even in the more enlightened cultures of Greece and Rome, women were not put on the same par as men. They never really have been. Until recently, in our culture in the West, in some of the Western and European cultures, yes. But still today, open your eyes. In the Middle East, and even in the Far East, and in most of the world, women are oppressed by men. And this is just true. So why is that? Why is it? Why did we develop a society after the Garden of Eden where men took the forefront and women were, were put aside, that they were sort of uh, subservient to men? Why did that happen? Well, listen, without sin, women would have co-reigned over creation as queens because they were created equal. And they are equal. And in Christ, there is neither male nor female. That is, we're all equal before God. Amen? Amen. But the vestige, the curse of sin, still exists in our society today that the default position within humanity is that men oppress women. Maybe because they're stronger physically, generally. Maybe just because the curse of sin has caused women to be wired in a way where they're more willing to be subservient to men. Whatever the reason, it's not how God initially designed us to be. Please understand that. So chauvinism and this idea that the man is the king of the castle, I sound like Ralph Cramden. That idea is, is, is the result of sin. So when we as Christians, Christian men, speak that way, act that way, behave that way, we're following the words of the serpent in many ways, and we're acting according to the curse. But God has reversed the curse. In Jesus Christ, again, neither male nor female. It doesn't have to be that way. But of course, our society is not easy to change. It should, and it is to some degree, but it hasn't completely. I think we all know that. So without sin, Eve would have co-reigned over creation as queen. So what this does, this curse of sin explains the oppression of women throughout history. So already we see that pain in childbirth and the oppression of women throughout history, are the result of the curse of sin, not God's design. That's very important that you and I, that we understand that. Now, having said what I've said about women being oppressed, let me also say that Ephesians 5 teaches us that loving submission on the part of men and women to each other is God's design. That is, loving submission to a Christian husband is still a blessed role, just like Childbirth is still a blessed role. God can reverse the curse even there in marriage, and, and you can have a loving relationship. You can. And women can still be submitted to men, and men can be sacrificing for women. That's the way God designed the relationship to be. We're hindered in that, and it becomes difficult, and that's why marriage counselors exist, because that is a difficult thing to do. Because we're programmed through sin and the curse of sin not to do the right thing. But the right thing is clearly mapped out for us in chapter 5 of Ephesians. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to sacrifice and give their lives to their, uh, for their wives. That's the reverse of the curse. So you'll see that each of these curses are reversed through Jesus Christ. Again, we still experience the proclivity, the desire to sin in this way, we still possess that because we're still sinners. We still have the sin nature. Until we receive our resurrected bodies, this will be the uh, grain that we have to cut against. And, and we have to go against the sin programming in Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, amen, but it's, it's not easy. 
As Paul said, you know, the thing we want to do, we don't do it. What do we do? We do the thing we don't want to do. Understand that. So I'm giving you the ideals that existed before sin, but also showing you in the word that God has reversed that curse. And so the woman was cursed for her sin, her sin of being deceived and disobeying God. Now, the man. The man is cursed for his sin, his sin of disobedience, not deception. Look at verses 17 through 19. We'll read the whole passage and then we'll go back over it. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife. By the way, gentlemen, don't use this out of context. Don't sit down at the kitchen table and say, hon, it all started. There was a big problem in humanity. Sin came into the world because a man listened to his wife. You would be sinning by saying that. <laughs> to, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam you are, and to Adam you will return. The word for clay or dirt or dust is, is really refers to the word for man, Adam, Adam. So that's the curse. Of course, some of this curse falls upon the woman as well. But, but, but the point is, the man brought about this curse because of his disobedience. The woman brought about the curses she experienced through her disobedience, through deception, really, deception. Now, here's the thing. So much more happened in the universe than we even begin to ponder when mankind sinned. When woman was deceived and ate of the fruit, and man rebelled and ate of the fruit, the universe was upended. Not just mankind suffered the result of the curse of sin. The entire universe changed drastically, radically. Which begins to explain on a scientific level why scientists look at creation today and extrapolate backwards and try to determine how old the earth is, how old creation is, they come to an extraordinarily large number because they try to use the data to, to go back and figure out when this all could have started. And that makes sense until you consider that there was a point in time, actually two very significant points in time, that change everything. The first, of course, is the moment when mankind sinned. Something happened at, at the level of physics maybe even at a quantum level, certainly, astronomically, everything changed. And then, of course, on the earth, we had the flood shortly after that, which changed everything on the earth. So when you consider those two data points between our observation of science and the creation of the heavens and the earth, there were two significant events. One, of course, the first looking back would be the flood. That changed everything on the earth. But something happened even before that that drastically changed the laws of physics. For one thing, mankind brought death into the world. Death didn't come into the world until sin came into the world. Sin brought death. So what must have changed? Well, I can only begin to imagine what it was like before mankind sinned, but I can share a few things I can observe. The earth itself suffered corruption because of man's sin and rebellion. His sin brought corruption, death, into the world. Without sin, the elements of creation were not subject to decay. 
You know, all the elements, everything we see is subject to decay. The Bible teaches this. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. We see it over and over again. And in the last days, Peter tells us, all of the elements will melt in a fervent heat. There will be a moment where it all just dissolves. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. God said it was very good. So whatever creation was before mankind sinned, it was completely different, even at a microscopic and astronomic level. Everything was different. How different? So different that I can't even begin to imagine it. I can only read the text of the scripture and try to understand what it must have been like. No decay, no death. Imagine that. This explains the breakdown of all matter within the universe. We, we call the second law of thermodynamics entropy. It means that everything we observe is, is being broken down. Everything's uh, decaying. Everything's moving towards disorder, from order to disorder. It's as if everything was perfect, and it was, and, and someone introduced a monkey wrench in the machine. Someone, someone mankind, triggered something. I would like to use the analogy of dominoes. When I was a kid, I was always fascinated with dominoes. I liked playing dominoes, but even more, I liked setting them up so that you could push one and watch the entire set step-by-step trigger a reaction. I want you to think about what happened on that day as a set of dominoes set up, one of those large sets of dominoes. Some people do this. I don't know where they get their time. But they'll set up an entire room of dominoes, and and this thing will go on for, for minutes, sometimes longer than that, and it's fascinating to watch. If you're really interested, we got YouTube, so go for it. But look at it this way. One of those dominoes was triggered, and since entropy has entered the world, and slowly, not as quickly as that YouTube video, but slowly, all of the dominoes are falling, and we're moving toward complete destruction and disorder. Slowly, over time. That's what man brought into the universe. He triggered the domino, and what we see today, death, disorder, destruction, is the result of his action, their actions, entropy. Now, according to Romans chapter 8, all of creation, we're told. That's the universe. All of creation waits. Now, that's anthropomorphizing or giving inanimate objects the character or the nature of a person. But that's poetic. It's designed to tell us all of creation is waiting with eager expectation for Christ to intervene. What is creation waiting for? For the Lord to turn that back around to reverse the curse. See, that curse is going to be reversed. It hasn't been reversed in its entirety. That's what we're waiting for. So the world is still experiencing the curse of sin. The universe at a molecular level, everything we see is still suffering the result of sin. But Jesus came and he set in motion another set of dominoes. And we're moving towards the moment where he restores all things. Amen? We're not there yet. Just like you haven't received your resurrected body, the earth is still waiting for corruption to cease. That that day will come when he sets up his new earth, his new heaven and new earth, his millennial kingdom before that. We're going to see that one day. And that's our hope. Part of our hope. The blessed hope of his appearing. Another thing we're told is that man would suffer painful toil throughout his life in order to survive. Who has not experienced that? 
You know, we love childhood. Why do we love childhood? Because generally children in our culture don't have the level of responsibility that adults do. They don't have to get up, punch a clock, work a job. Not in our culture. Some cultures, yes. They're not struggling to survive the way that men and women today struggle to survive. And our society, not being an agrarian society, we can't relate to having to get up uh, and work on a farm, unless, of course, you have done that type of work. It's a constant, daily, season after season, struggle to survive. You plant, you sow, right? You reap, you store, you get through the winter, and it all begins again in the spring. That repetitive cycle of survival is toiling. It's a struggle to survive. And if you have no food, you find out very quickly why it's so valuable to know how to do that. But I guarantee, if we took a poll of everyone here, there are probably, there may be 1% of us here today, maybe 2%, that if suddenly the supermarkets were all closed, could figure out a way to survive without them. Most of us wouldn't last a month. That's scary, isn't it? But what we do know about Adam is he's told that he's going to have to toil. He's going to have to work. So work is the result of sin. Can I hear an amen? I think most of us would agree, amen. When I go to work on Monday morning, I don't say, well, well, wait a minute. It is a blessing to be able to work, amen. Our jobs are a blessing from God. God can reverse that curse. He gives us the ability to provide for ourselves. It's not all bad news, but it was a whole lot better before that. Without sin, the earth would have produced fruit without needing cultivation. Now, there are some parts of the world that are like this. There are some places, warmer climates, where you can just about live off of the trees or the plants. There are some parts of our world. We don't live in that environment, but a lot can grow just on its own in certain environments. But generally speaking, mankind, after this, he he had to cultivate, he had to work in order to survive. And of course, this explains the need for men and women to farm the land to produce crops. Remember that the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, and it's explaining to mankind and all of us why these things are so. Why is there pain in childbirth for women? Why are women generally subservient and oppressed by men? Why does man have to work for his food? See, sin explains all of this. Why is there death in the world? But remember that farming to produce food is still a blessing from God, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. It's still a blessing from God because God reverses the curse. So man would be forced to cultivate fields and plant crops in order to eat. Without sin, he had gleaned, good word, had gleaned the benefits of living in a fruitful garden. Imagine, you just get up, oh, what will I have today? What will I have? Oh, maybe pomegranate. Oh, maybe I'll have a pear or an apple. Whatever you wanted, it was there for you to enjoy. That's what, that's what Adam and Eve experienced before sin. But this explains, for all you gardeners, why inedible weeds grow without man even getting involved. No one ever went into their garden and planted weeds. If you did, you're really weird. I mean, actually, wildflowers are very pretty. They oftentimes will plant them on the side of the highway. I was going down the parkway this summer, and 
I saw whole sections of, uh, which would normally just be grass. And I guess somebody got smart and said, well, weeds grow very easily, and these are pretty weeds, so let's plant them here. Can't eat them, but, you know, they look nice. And it solves the problem. I guess you don't have to mow the lawn, because those weeds choke out the grass. So somebody got smart, and they're very pretty, but you can't eat them. And this explains why inedible weeds grow without man's intervention. Why? Because what did God say? The land will produce thorns and thistles. That's weeds for you, but you will eat the plants of the field. So, yeah, you're going to eat the plants of the field, but a lot of stuff is going to grow that you can't eat at all. Thorns and thistles would be an example of those things. So without sin, man had lived free from anything that wasn't very good. And weeds are not very good. Weeds are the result of sin. At least his experience of having to try to live off the land and these weeds growing in an environment where he's trying to cultivate, that's the result of sin. But again, God can reverse the curse because he gives us the ability and the knowledge to get around that. It also explains something else. Thorns and thistles are more than just the weeds that grow in your garden. They explain other things, things that are in our environment, things that the Greeks made up a story about in order to explain. Pandora's box, maybe you're familiar with it. It's a story that suggested that there was this woman, Pandora, and she was very, very curious. She decided to open the box that the gods told her not to open, and when she did, all the evils of society came out. Now, this was the Greeks' poetic way of saying and describing sin. They understood on some level that sin brought these things into the world. So they made up a story, a myth, and that myth explains the Garden of Eden. It's not true, but it's a poetic representation of the truth. So this explains disease, bacterium, viruses, parasites, poisons, etc. All the things that are bad in our universe came into our universe at that level when mankind sinned. He allowed his creation to deteriorate in varying degrees, like those dominoes, one by one. And many of these changes were very harmful to man. And this is evidence of a struggle for existence in a fallen world, the result of sin. So these corrupted systems, ecosystems, let's call it that, corrupted ecosystems, they maintain a balance in nature that indirectly benefits it. See, God even reversed that curse in some ways because the other day I was going out my front door and I guess, I'm not sure why, but, uh, you know, thankfully not in the house, sometimes we see rodents, a lot of chipmunks, sometimes squirrels, um, but sometimes or occasionally you'll see field mice. And for whatever reason, the landscapers had been there. I'm not sure if they took it out, but for whatever reason, there was a dead mouse uh, on the path, sometimes cats. We don't have cats, but sometimes cats will catch them and leave them on a doorstep. It's kind of like their way of saying, here's a present for you. Um, I I did my job. So there's this mouse, and I look out there, I see the flies, I see the mouse, and I'm like, ah, that's not what I want to see at my front door. So I'll use the side door. I I don't like dealing with dead things, all right? So I said, I guess I better get the shovel and throw it somewhere in the garden, let it decay on its own. But then I thought to myself, you know, I know what's going to happen. If I leave this thing there within 24 hours, something's going to take care of it for me. I've seen this with even like larger animals like deer or squirrels. I see them on the side of the road. A day later, they're gone. I don't think our town hires people to run around and pick up these dead carcasses. Maybe the larger ones like deer. But almost always what happens is the carrion, those things that live on dead things, they look at that as like a buffet. 
they come in and, and, and they, they, they I, I, we must have hyenas or something. I don't know what they are. No, I'm kidding, of course. But I think we might actually, have, we have foxes, certainly. Um, coyotes, some have said they've seen in our area. I'm not sure. Could be a myth. Chupacabra, maybe. I don't know. The Latinos here know what I'm talking about. But whatever it is, you see a carcass, the next day there's very little left, and the next day it's gone. What happened to it? Even within a sinful environment, God has provided some sort of an ecosystem to deal with all these things in death. So I see God reversing the curse there. I see God's blessings even in like vultures and ravens and animals that eat dead things. So I'm I'm trying to show you that, yes, sin came into the world, but God is greater than sin because he wants to bless us. Amen? I'm not trying to put a positive spin on sin. I'm saying that God is bigger than your sin. That the curse of sin is reversed in Jesus Christ. Not completely, not yet. It will be completely reversed, but we're already seeing through Jesus Christ's death on the cross that some of these things can be reversed and experience blessing in our lives is what God desires for us. Okay. So the man, though, we're told in the latter part of verse 19, he says, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and from dust, uh, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Man is composed of the same elements that you'll find in dirt. And we know that. We're organized by the creative processes of God, but, but we're, we're basically made of the same stuff. And the Bible testifies to that. But man would eventually die. Of course, Adam and Eve didn't die the first day they sinned. And you might say, oh, see, the serpent was right. You didn't die. Well, that's not entirely the truth because they eventually died and they wouldn't have eventually died had they not sinned. It's interesting to me that uh, just like those dominoes move slowly in terms of the corruption of the earth, mankind didn't die immediately. There was a, a, a time where over a period of time he aged. And that aging process, uh, because he was genetically pure, and because the environment of the earth had not yet been degraded to a great degree, not yet, he lived a very long, a very long life, uh, lifespan, almost nearly a thousand years. And that explains why that was so. But without sin, he would have lived forever in a perfect world without decay. So no need for plastic surgery, Botox, or any of those creams. Wouldn't that have been a nice world? And this explains the inevitability of death and aging in this world. The cause, what is the cause of aging? It's funny, science is trying to figure out, how can we reverse the aging process? Oh, we have to be able to reverse the aging process. They're trying to reverse the curse. And they can't. Only God can reverse the curse. And by the way, God isn't interested in renovating your face. He's interested in giving you a new body. Amen? A whole new body. You know, there are sometimes when people buy a home and they look at it and they say, oh, we can make this work. It's got good bones. We can, we can redo this house. But then sometimes they look at it and they say, the only answer is to raise the house. Take it all the way down and build it again. They're doing that across the street in my neighborhood. I'm not done complaining about it yet, so I'll just say this. It's very loud in my neighborhood right now. They're still working on that home. But their answer was to rebuild it again. God's answer for you, he's going to give you a new body. Can I hear an Amen. But death and aging have entered this world. And science will never find the answer to death and aging because it, it, they don't believe the truth of the Bible generally, which is that sin brought these things about. Now, this will change somewhat during the kingdom age. Isaiah talks about this. When, when things change in our world, when the kingdom age is ushered in, we'll find that 
a lot of these things will be reversed to some degree, not completely, but certainly to some degree. But Christ's resurrection provides us with the hope of a risen and eternal life. God has reversed the curse in Jesus Christ. Now, one observation I want to point out before we move on from this verse is that Adam brought about four, four aspects of the curse through sin. He brought sorrow into the world. There was no sorrow until he sinned. Sorrow came into the world. Pain came about, the result of thorns. Thorns bring pain, diseases. Thorns, can, thorns and thistles describe more than just weeds. They describe all of the ills of humanity. So pain, sorrow, also sweat. Sweat because of the labor of life. He was going to have to work. And finally, physical death. Sorrow, pain, sweat, and physical death. And a return to the dust. All of this, these four things, physical death, sweat, pain, sorrow, they came through Adam's sin. But Christ redeemed us. He reversed that curse. He redeemed us from these four aspects of the curse. For one thing, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief in this world. Amen? Isaiah tells us that in Isaiah 53. He was the man of sorrows. He took upon himself the sorrows of this world so that we don't have to experience it. He reversed the curse. He also wore a crown of thorns and suffered greatly, great pain, so that we would not have to suffer eternally. You'll remember in Luke's gospel, he sweat great drops of blood in labored prayer for us and for himself as he stood before the jeering crowd and suffered on our behalf on the cross. And finally, he was laid in the dust of death, as Psalm 22, verse 15 tells us. He was laid in the dust of death. So the man of sorrows wore a crown of thorns, sweat great drops of blood, and was laid in the dust of death so that he could reverse the curse of Adam who brought those things upon us. Did God reverse the curse? Yes, in Jesus Christ. And praise God, according to the book of Revelation, which we studied previous to studying Genesis, he will one day dwell with men and remove our curse. Amen? But that day is not today, sadly. There's one more thing. We've talked about the curses of sin. But there are the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. And you know, I, I, I was going back and forth. Am I going to do the curses and the consequences together? I look at the clock and I realize we're in no rush. I think next week we'll get into the consequences of sin. We're going to see in verses 20 through 24, there were other consequences. Not so much curses, but consequences that came about the result of sin. But I actually want to close by mentioning one thing. And it has to do with reversing the curse primarily in the relationship of marriage. Now, the reason I say in marriage is because God created marriage between one man and one woman for life before sin entered the world. So marriage is not something that came about the result of sin. Gentlemen, don't ever suggest such a thing. Ladies, it's not true. Marriage came before sin. So is it possible to reverse the curse of sin in our marriages, in our relationships? This really has to do with our identity. Because one of the things that, that, that sin really affected more than anything else is our identity. Who we are. 
Now, here's the problem. Our identity in Christ helps us to reverse the curse of sin. But apart from Christ, our identity is cursed. What do I mean? I'm going to look at two aspects, one with the woman and one with the man, just to point something out that I think you'll see is true. It may seem like a generalization, but I think it really is true. For one thing, you remember one of the things that happened to the woman? It really had to do with her identity. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. By the way, it's nice, ladies, that you desire a husband, but understand something. There's a healthy part to that, and there's an unhealthy part to that. Well, certainly being ruled over isn't healthy, but the desire for a husband, I I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a man. I could never understand why any woman anywhere would want to live with us. I can't. But I can tell you I'm glad they want to. I'm glad my wife does. But the desire for a husband, the desire to be with a man, where your identity is actually wrapped up in it, where you look and you say, if I don't get married, I'll be no one. I, I I won't be able to become who I want to be unless I'm married and have a family. That desire, which actually comes from sin because it's linked to a lack of identity in Christ, that can be reversed as well. Well, that's not to say you can't get married. But if you get married and your whole purpose for being in a relationship is so you can feel like you're whole, that points out something very true. You're cursed. And many women have shared with me that that desire for a husband, that longing to be in that relationship feels like a curse. Because when they don't have the relationship or the relationship is dysfunctional, they don't feel like a whole person. Can you tell me that that is a good thing? Because it's not. To be in a loving relationship where the curse is reversed is great. But women, ladies, you should never look to your husband. You will, but you shouldn't look to your husband to make you feel good about yourself. But isn't it true that that's the curse? That when women think about their identity and who they are, and especially if they're married, many times it's, it's founded in a relationship with a man. Men define the identity of too many women today. Ladies, amen? You're defined by your relationship with your father. You're defined by your relationship with your spouse many times or the lack of a relationship with your father or your spouse or not having one or having a a, a dysfunctional relationship. Many times this relationship is the curse that women endure. And it's because sin came into the world They were deceived by the serpent, and part of that curse, part of that curse is the desire for your husband. Okay, how about the men? Well, men's identity, you know, women want to be loved, they want to be in a relationship. Men struggle with their identity, and they almost always, almost always, define it by what they do. Their work. Oh my goodness, their work. Talk to a man who's lost his job. He can barely put two sentences together. He's lost that sense of who he is in his self. He he doesn't understand his identity anymore because he gets his identity by what he does. A woman from who she's involved with. Relationship. A man? No, he doesn't get it from relationship as much. He does sometimes, but as much as what he does, his job. And isn't it true? What was the man cursed with? Painful toil. Work. Work was the curse that man experience through sin. And so men, while they enjoy relationships, look to their jobs to find their identity. One of the most dangerous things you can do as a minister of the gospel is find your identity in your ministry. 
That would be a curse. If you define yourself pastor, leader, by the number of people that attend your ministries or your church, you're under the curse. If you define yourself by what you do, how many hours you put in, how many promotions you get, how well thought of you are in your field, you are under the curse. Great book, Love and Respect, by the way. Great, wonderful book about relationships. Makes it very clear that women, they really, they, they look for love in relationship. Men look for respect. Where do men get their respect? Typically from their jobs. But isn't it true that God can give us men the sense of identity in Christ that supersedes what we do during the day and how many hours we put in and how many accolades and how much affirmation we receive? See, it's important to understand, gentlemen, the reason that many men are workaholics and spend entirely too much time outside the family is they're struggling to find meaning in life. But Jesus Christ has reversed the curse because... Jesus Christ gives us our identity in him. It's not what we do, or how many hours we work, or what job we have, or how many promotions we get. We'd be better off to to do like the women, find our identity in relationship, but our struggle isn't that. Our struggle is to find it outside of relationship. And so, so many men look for that outside of their marriages, in their jobs, unhealthy relationships, leisure, that is, hobbies, So we see that there is a curse, and it affects marriage today, but God has reversed the curse in Jesus Christ. Women can learn to trust in Jesus and not look to their husbands to feel good about themselves. Imagine that. And men can look at work for what it is, a paycheck, and not who they are. Brothers and sisters, we need to reverse the curse. That is, we need to allow God to reverse the curse through his Son, Jesus Christ, in each of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your message makes it abundantly clear to us that we are in need of you, men and women alike. And, and these are generalizations to some degree. There are some women that behave and act and feel more like men in that regard and vice versa. It's not so much about the, the, the gender side of this curse as it is that the curse exists at all, and that we all suffer varying degrees of this curse in our lives and in our relationships. And the only answer is for us to have a good and healthy relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day to reverse that curse and who's coming again to judge the living and the dead and to completely take away the consequences and the curse of sin realized in our lives to give us new bodies that we might never have to experience this again. Oh, Lord, help us now as we submit our hearts to you to walk from this place, to look to you in our marriages and in our relationships, to look to you, to overcome all the difficulties that we experience simply because we're sinful beings. Lord, we ask that you do this work in our hearts through Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.